Well, what, what a great privilege to be here again three years later. There's a whole lot more people here. Two services. God's moving in Rosenberg. This is awesome. So fun to be here. Uh, what, a, what a big honor for me. Whenever, whenever you really, really love somebody, you kind of automatically love who, who they love. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Rachel. We've been married 21 years this last uh, month. We celebrated 21 years. Thank you very much. It's been the best 13 of our lives. It's been awesome. Um, some of you got that. Uh, uh, and uh, we have two daughters. Ashlyn is 17 and Devin is 16 or 15, almost 16. So reach out and pray for me right now if you, if you would. Uh, uh, but if you if you really get to know me, if we if you and I were to get close, you would kind of automatically love my family, and uh, that's just the way it works. And I just want you guys to know your pastor really really loves you. Jim and Phyllis love you so much. Uh, we spend a lot of time together on the phone through text. Uh, they, they'll come to Birmingham anytime I'm in Houston. We're going to be together. I was here for Jim and Steve's fortieth uh, birthday party. Man, man, oh man, that's so young. It's amazing. I'm older than they are, so that's really young. And uh, 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 but they they just love you so much. Talk about you all the time. And uh, and because I love them, I automatically love you. So even though you've never seen my face, maybe you maybe you've never heard my voice, maybe you've never even heard of Lane Trans, you need to know that I love you because I love your pastor so much. And this is a huge honor for me. Uh, uh, on behalf of our pastor, Chris Hodges, on behalf of the entire ARC, uh, I just want to say congratulations and well done. This church is amazing. You are a part of a miracle right here in Rosenberg. I mean, this is really cool. Really cool to see what God is doing. And he's using uh, every one of you probably more than you know. And so thank you for your generosity here. And, and really thank you to the dream team that makes all this happen. I mean, just it's just... It's just, it's just a thrill for me to be here and an honor to continue this Running with the Giants series. What a great series to look into the scriptures, look at some heroes uh, of our faith and, and learn from them. And if they, could, if they could speak to us from heaven, what would be the one thing that they would tell us? And last week, uh, Pastor Jim did a great message on the life of Rebecca and what would be the one thing that she would share with us. And it was generosity and I want to dive in as well, and maybe the author of the theme verse of this series. And so the theme verse for the series is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it's debatable on whether or not the Apostle Paul actually wrote this book. Some say he did, and some say he didn't. And so whether he did or not, I'm going to focus in on Paul uh, for our giant of today's series as we continue this. Let's read that scripture uh, together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, everybody say great. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Everybody say run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. So Paul is in this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we run the race of life, as we run our race of faith. And what would Paul tell us? I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be a little bit intimidated when, when we talk about heroes of the faith. As we see their great accomplishments, David killing Goliath, 
uh, Paul planting churches all over Europe and into Asia and, and all these great people that we've even been studying through the, the Bible. Moses leading and delivering the people from slavery out of Egypt and all these great heroes of the faith, Rebecca and Esther and just different ones that we could look to and learn from. A lot of times I get intimidated by that and I'm like, you know what, I could never be Paul. I could never be Mark or, or Luke or John or Peter. I couldn't be Moses. And, and I start comparing myself and I start looking at all my failures and everything that I've done wrong. And, and for some of you, you might be the same way. Yeah, we're, we're covering this Running with the Giant series, but I will never be a giant because fill in the blank. And a lot of us have a lot of fill in the blanks. I know I do. Well, if you knew where I came from, you'd know I'd never be a hero in the faith. I'm actually from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was uh, in the towing and recovery business for uh, really most of my life until I was almost 30 years old when I moved to Birmingham to be a part of Church of the Highlands. Pastor Chris was my youth pastor uh, when, when I was in high school, and it was the summer camp between my junior and senior year of high school that God called me uh, to be in ministry. And, and so parents, make sure your students are there. Students, make sure you're at summer camp. Don't miss an opportunity for God to do something powerful in a young person's life. And so that happened for me at, at 17. But I, I didn't go into ministry, not, not for 12 more years. And so there were a lot of things that I did wrong, a lot of messes that I found myself in, and a lot of lies that the devil told me that I could never be anybody special, that I could never do anything great for God. And maybe the enemy is, is sharing some of those lies with you as well. And I, I want us to, to look into Paul's life and, and really what he was known for and, and really kind of one of the, I think, most important things that he wrote to us. He wrote, uh, they say, about two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, and I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We won't read the whole chapter, but it starts uh, with talking about spiritual gifts, and then it, and it transitions, Paul transitions that chapter into talking about how we are one body with many parts, and so he describes the church, uh, not, not just the church here in Rosenberg, but also the church around the world. The church, you guys know you have the greatest name of any church ever, right? You're the church. <laughs> so, so the big C church and the church in Rosenberg, Paul describes it as a body. And a body has many parts. And maybe you're here just checking out the church. Maybe you're not sure if you can quite fit in. Maybe you hear us cheer for the dream team and you're like, you know what, I, I don't think I could ever be on the team here. Uh, maybe I, I'll just come to church and attend some services and that'll be my, my uh, check the box off my Christian life or whatever it is, but, but you, you, you look at the church and you think, you know what, they're doing great. This, this place is amazing. I can't believe all that they're doing. I mean, we're starting small groups today, and, and they set up church and tear it down in a high school. I mean, everybody here is awesome, and I just don't know if I'm awesome enough to be a part of the awesomeness, and, and we start to doubt our own, uh, our own abilities. But you need to know, yes, this church is working just fine without you. It's going, it's going good, and the devil will tell you, just, just, just let it go on without me. But I'll, I'm here to tell you this, it would work better with you. Because you are, if you are not connected here, if you are not operating as a part of the dream team, you are, you are yet a piece that is still missing from the church. Because God has a plan and a purpose for you to be here and for you to be operating in how he designed you, and some of you don't even know how he designed you. There's actually been a study done that 80% of Christians don't have any idea why they're on planet Earth. 
They don't even know why God created them. Because of of that, we have here at the church something we call the growth track. And the growth track exists for you to discover that purpose that God placed in you so that you can make a difference, that you can actually live out your God-given purpose. A lot of us are living out a purpose. We just didn't know what God's purpose was, and the growth track will help you with that. Today is the perfect day to jump in the growth track because it's step one. We start at the beginning of every month, and so that's where you can find and discover your part to play in the body. But after Paul describes the body, he transitions at the end of the chapter with a, with a, with a, a statement that I want to key in on that will set us up for, for this message. Because even in my own doubts, if I could ever make a difference, if I could ever really uh, be a part of the body of Christ, uh, I think to, the, to really what I would consider a failure in my life to really make a difference in somebody else. And it was actually with my own dad. My mother was our, our spiritual leader in our house. Uh, some of you might come from families like that. I mean, she, she would be the one that would pray for meals. She would be the one that would, would drag us to church. And my dad, being a good man, would go to church with us. But I never saw in my entire life, all the way up until I was 30 years old, I never saw my dad grow spiritually. And I prayed for him, and I tried to talk to him. And I, 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 I mean, I, I did everything in my power and what didn't seem to, to make a difference in his life. And a lot of us have loved ones or we have friends, we have people that we would love to impact, but we still don't know how to do that or, or we don't know how any, any change could ever happen. I, I mean, I came to a place where I was like, God, I don't know if you're ever going to change my dad's life. And it's very frustrating. It's, it's scary at times to be in that place. And if you have loved ones that you've prayed for for a long time, you would, you would understand that feeling. So how can we really impact the people around us is what I really want to talk about from the life of Paul. And so he talks about gifts, talks about the body of Christ. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, and then jump to 31, he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Say, I am a part of it. You need to say it like you're a good thing. Say, I'm a part of it. Okay, that's much better. And now I will show you the most excellent way. So you're a part of the body, but now I need to show you the most excellent way. And that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of chapter 12. So chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is about one word. It is about one thing. It is about one action. And he says it is the most excellent way. We're not going to read 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've not been around church or weren't raised in church or not, are, are not very familiar with the scriptures, you wouldn't know this. But those of you that are, there's one word that describes 1 Corinthians 13. What is that word? Love. Love. The whole chapter it's called the love chapter. It is about what love is. It is defining love. And so that's the one word I believe Paul would shout to us from heaven. As we're running our race of life, he's like, hey, everybody, love people. Love people. That's the word. And then my response is, how? How? <laughs> I get it. It's a simple word. I understand what love is, but I don't know how to love people, especially I don't know how to love them in a way that God can do something great in their life. And that's what I want us to talk about. So I want to break it down into four steps. Four steps to love people. And the order of these steps is very important. If we're truly going to see God do something in their life, we got to get the order right. Okay? So the first step to love people is to add value to them. 
It's to add value to them. That it's not about us. It's not what we can get from them. It's not about us preaching to them. Not about us holding up a sign at a football game saying, turn or burn. Or sinners go to hell. Like that's not helping. That is not helping the process. We need to add value to them. How do we add value to people here at the church? Really, the mechanism for love at the church is small groups. The lifeblood of this church, what really keeps the heartbeat of this church going is small groups. Because small groups are the environment where we can add value to people. Okay, this is, this is great. You're here at church. You're hearing God's word. God's word will never return void. It will always do something for you and in you when you hear God's word. It is powerful to worship the living God like we just worship God. But if we are really going to love people, we need to be in relationship with people. And actually, Sundays doesn't give us a lot of space for relationship. We're coming into church, we're, we're hearing the message, and we're going on home. And, and the small groups here at the church give us that opportunity for us to truly love people. So with our small groups, our goal is to add value to people. Matthew five thirteen, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt makes everything better. It's not too good on the, on the heart sometimes, but if you ever had french fries with no salt, you wasted your time, right? Like, that was just not good. You, if, if, if Lay's potato chips didn't have any salt on them, they wouldn't sell a single bag. You wouldn't want another one, right? I mean, salt makes things better. That's what we are supposed to do as Christians. We are supposed to add value to people, make their lives better. Well, how do small groups add value to people? Very, very simple. Here at the church, we offer different types of small groups. So when I moved to Birmingham 16 years ago to be a part of Church of the Highlands, I went to a small group called Growing Kids God's Way. Rachel and I had two little girls at that time. Uh, I believe Ashton was three and Devin uh, was one and a half. And, and we are freaking out. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, there were no classes in high school that taught us how to be parents. Like, I, I can't even find classes in college to teach us how to be parents. And so we went to a small group called Growing Kids God's Way. And it was actually, our pastor led it. He had five kids, and we thought, well, he's got five of them. Maybe he knows something. And actually, our pastor didn't teach anything. He was learning along with us because we watched a video curriculum each week. Back then, it was on VHS. Does anybody remember VHS? I just dated myself, all right? So we're watching the curriculum each week with several other couples learning about parenting. See, that small group was adding value to us. There were people that came to that small group that actually didn't want to have anything to do with church, but they were so freaked out about parenting, they came to the small group. And when they came to the small group and God started to add value into their life, they started to get interested in church. See, because the, the order's important. Let's add value to people. We have groups that help people get out of debt. They have a, they have a need, and so we're going to add value by meeting that need. We have groups that, that help people lead in their businesses. We have uh, groups that help people with their marriages. I'll talk more about a group that my wife and I led called Love and Respect that was a marriage group that uh, was several years later, so it was on DVD. We were stepping up, right? And, and now those things are, are going uh, away. But sometimes the best way to begin this process 
of changing somebody's life doesn't seem spiritual. Like it didn't necessarily come with a verse or preaching at someone. No, it it begins with adding value to them. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't preach at somebody and said, if you believe what I just said, then I'm going to heal you. No, it happened the other direction, right? The other order. He, he reversed the order. He healed them, and then they found out who he was. Sometimes he told them, don't tell anybody, which, of course, they would tell everybody, right? But he added value to people first. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul would encourage us uh, to do. We need to make people better. Add, adding value to people, and you will, if you will add value to people, you will earn the right to influence them. So it starts with that. After we add value, we need to build intentional community with them. Build intentional community. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Everybody say meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Every person is in community. You're already gathering with people. It just might not be intentional. Human beings naturally group together. It might be watching Monday Night Football with the, the same guys. I'm, I'm from Colorado. I'm, I'm from the land of the Denver Broncos. Go Broncos. I want to thank all of you Houston Texan fans for taking Osweiler from us. Way to go. And now you're happy that he's gone, all right? right? Anyways, stay on task lane. Not about football. It's not about football. But we're already grouping together, right? That's what human beings do. And so the church here, we don't want you to stop your life remove yourself from your life and come do what the church wants you to do. Like a lot of times I think in, in like the church that I grew up at, with, it was, like, it was like you weren't doing anything for God if you didn't just stop everything and come, what we want, come do what we want you to do. But that's not how we do it here. We want you to take the grouping that you're already in, the small group that you're naturally gathering with, the community that you already have. It's the, if it's the same people that you go to the baseball game with and it's the people that you would maybe go to lunch with from the office every Friday or whatever it is, the, the natural groups that you're already a part of, just make it intentional. Make it intentional. As you add value to people, you are being intentional. Take what you're already doing and turn it into ministry is another way to say it. That you would add value to people and be intentional with those relationships. Let me make sure that you, you know what small groups are not. There's some misconceptions out there, right? I, I even had my own misconceptions. When I first heard about small group at church, all I could think about was my Sunday school class. And for those of you that were made to go to Sunday school by your parents, you know the feeling. It was never fun. There's a scripture that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. That was the opposite. When my mom said, let's go to church, I was mad when she said that unto me. Like I, I didn't, like it was, it, Sunday school for me was miserable. So when I heard about small groups at church, I thought Sunday school. Now that's not what it is. It's not a class where you're being taught, okay? It, it, it's, it's, it's not that at all. It's not a, a kumbaya, hold hands in the circle, well, that's kind of weird. I don't want to go to do that. 
I don't want to stand in the, in the circle and, and feel awkward. And then, then you have the prayer, right? When, when you pray and everybody in the circle is going to pray and, and when you're done praying, you squeeze the person's hand next to you and then they pray. And, and so when that happened to me, I got real freaked out. And so they would squeeze my hand and I just squeeze the next hand of the next person. Like I'm not saying anything like, like that's not what small groups are. It's, it's not this kumbaya weird thing. That's not, not what it is. It, it, it doesn't have to include singing. There are small groups that might do some worship, and that's great. Maybe they'll, they'll play an iPod or something, play some music and, and worship a song or two, or maybe if they're blessed to have somebody like Steve that could lead, lead worship at the small group, that's fine. But, but I, I've led a men's small group at Panera Bread several semesters at 6.30 in the morning, and if one of those guys starts singing, I'm out. Like, that's just weird. So a small group doesn't have to have singing, okay? It doesn't have to be kumbaya. It doesn't have to have those things. And some of you are like, well, I don't want to be in a small group because I went to a small group once and it was weird or it was terrible, and I, I'm never going to go back. I'm like, hold, hold on a second. I would assume that everyone in here at one point or another had a bad haircut, but you still want and got another haircut. Like you figured, like you probably didn't go back to that barber or that salon, but you kept getting a haircut. So, so just because you had a bad small group experience doesn't mean you should never be in a small group. We did a very non-scientific study here at the church of all of our small groups, and we found out that 3.76% of them are not very good. Half of you got that, that. Like, I'm kidding. Like, what I am saying is that every small group is not a fit for every person. So it's okay, what I, I would call shop around small groups. If you go to one and you're like, ah, I just didn't do it for me, go to another and, and visit another and, until you find that community that you fit in or that, that, that need that you have in your life. Man, I, I need a parenting group. Or I need a financial freedom group. I need a group for a specific reason because I need some value added. You can find a group in whatever way it is uh, and, and get rid of those misconceptions. A small group is not a mini church service. It's not somebody that's going to preach to you. Being a small group leader doesn't mean that you have to study and prepare the entire week, like, oh, I don't, I, Pastor Jim talks about needing more small group leaders, and I don't know about that. I don't have time to study and prepare. No, 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 that's not what it is. A leader of a small group doesn't have to come with three points and a poem every week. Like, that's, that's not what it is. They, a, a small group leader, really, a leader is the wrong word. It's actually a facilitator. You're just facilitating relationship with intentional community. You don't, you're, you're not the leader. Like, I, I didn't go to my men's small group at Panera Bread and teach like I'm teaching you right now. I, I didn't preach. I didn't study for a message. No, uh, that small group, we just we read the one-year Bible together, and then I would ask that each guy over the, the previous seven days would just share the one verse that they got out of the one-year Bible reading that meant something to them. That was it. My, my leadership was asking a question. What did you read? What did you get out of it? Like, that was it. It was, it was so simple to lead. And and it's, so it's not teaching, it's, it's discussion. So whether you are in a small group here at the church or whether you will lead a small group here at the church, you need to be in an intentional community the rest of your life. I'm just, just telling you. Here's, here's a few thoughts about small groups. First of all, small groups are easy. They really are easy. Anytime, anywhere. Our small groups aren't at a specific time. 
Each leader of all these small groups that are starting today, they've picked a different time and a location for their group. That helps all of us figure out what group we could participate in. So it's very easy. Some of them are in morning, some are at lunchtime, some are on the weekend, some are on a weekday. And it's just easy to be a part of them. And it's actually super easy to lead too. So we will have another small group launch semester at the end of the summer. We're going to launch more small groups probably in August, right? Pastor Jim, is it August when we'll launch another semester? And some of you between now and August need to go through the growth track and go to small group leaders training so that you can lead a small group. And and remember, you're a facilitator, not a leader. Don't let the word leader uh, intimidate you. I love Acts 4.13 where the religious people looked at Peter and John and they, and, and they said, man, these guys are unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished that they were changing the world literally before them. They were like, how could these just normal guys, unschooled and ordinary, be doing anything great for God? And if you're intimidated today, and if you're like, Lane, I could never lead or facilitate or host a small group, I don't have what it takes, you need to know this, because here's what the people saw in Peter and John. The, the New Testament is written in the Greek, okay? The Greek language where it was translated unschooled ordinary from the Greek word, I think is a very bad translation. And I think you would agree with me, because I'm going to share with you the Greek word for what they called unschooled and ordinary, and see if you would come up with a better, more appropriate English word for the Greek word for unschooled ordinary. Here it goes. The Greek word is idiotos. <laughs> I guess the scholars didn't want the Bible to be mean to Peter and, you know, to, to Peter and John, so, so we can't be mean to them, so let's say unschooled ordinary. The word is idiot. And so they were idiots, yet they were doing great things for God. I don't know about you, but I qualify for idiot. And so if God can use an idiot, he could use me. And I think we, we, we all need to realize God could use us to facilitate a small group, to be a part of touching and changing somebody's life. I have a, a story from uh, one of our pastors on our team. He, he, uh, I had him write this down. He told me the story. I'm like, I got to have that. He said, Ken runs a very successful business, but was hesitant to lead a small group. We encouraged him to step out and lead. Ken recruited like crazy and had 19 men show up while focusing on move one step. So, so what that means is, is, is our small group leaders here at the church are not responsible to disciple people into perfect lives. I don't know if I could ever do that with anybody, right? That's a lot of responsibility. Our small group leaders are to just help people take steps toward God because every person is somewhere and God has something for them. And so a small group leader is just going to help people take a step toward what God has for them. And so, so here is this guy, Ken, who's helping people just take steps. Ken realized that most of the men in his group had, don't really read their Bibles, so Ken went out and bought each of them a daily Bible, and they all began reading God's Word daily. During this process, he found out one of the men could not read, so he connected him with a tutor. Also from this group, two of the men were water baptized, so that was their next step, and one baby was saved from being aborted because of this small group, because of this business guy who didn't think he could do anything. And all of a sudden, lives are being changed, okay? So small groups are easy. Small groups are interesting. It could be about passions or your profession. They are, they, they are interesting because they're about your interests, 
not the church's interest, your interest. So, so we have another word of saying it is we have interest-based small groups here at the church. And people can build their small group around what they're interested in. There is a fishing with God small group out there. Like, so those of you that are interested in fishing could go fishing. That's, that's not me. I'd rather watch paint dry, okay? Um, it just, I just didn't grow up fishing. So I, I've actually never been fishing in my life. Maybe if I went to the small group, I, I, I would have a change of heart. Um, but they're, it's, they're based around interests. And, and, and really, it's, it's, it's so easy for it to be around just about anything. You can take any topic, any, even watching Monday Night Football together, insert maybe a scripture beforehand and some prayer at halftime, taking some prayer requests after the game and praying for people the rest of the week and praying for your Texans to win. God bless you. You need all the prayer you can get. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there again. I don't, I don't know why it keeps coming up. <laughs> uh, anyways, all kinds of different topics, different, different ways. Small groups, thirdly, are effective. They actually work personally and publicly. So they work for me as a facilitator or leader, and they also work for the people uh, that are in the group. In God's economy, when you invest in others, your value increases. So even as a leader, you will, you will not believe how much you will grow and how good that group will be for you, even when you're leading the group. It's not just for the people that are, that are in that group. Uh, one of our, our pastors got a, a text uh, from a guy named John. I don't remember if I thanked you for encouraging me to lead a small group. Thank you, thank you, exclamation point. It's doing more for me in my relationship with God than I could ever imagine. It is taking me to the next level. Fist bump that smiley face is what he put in his text. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's amazing when people can just take what they already love and be intentional with it and start adding value to people, what God can do through that. The story about Ken, the guy that bought the Bibles for his group, and they started reading the Bible. Uh, we actually asked him uh, to send us an email, and he, sa- he wrote this in an email. I have to say that I am growing more than my men in my small group are. I felt that I had the least to offer, and I found out that there was more in me than I thought. All I ever cared about was working and loving my family. Remember, he was resistant to leading a small group. We literally had to talk him into it. I didn't realize that God had a greater plan for me and those around me. Leading this small group is changing my life, and I submit to you that it was changing the life of those men, obviously saved the life of that baby. I wish I could have done this much sooner. The men in my group are amazing. Just being around this group of men is the highest highlight of my week. Thanks for believing in me. I mean, that's it. Like if we build intentional community, we can do it. It's easy. It's interesting. It's effective. Now, now back to the four steps of love. So we're adding value to people. We're, we're building intentional community with people. And number three, this one you might not like, we have to share struggles with people. We have to share our struggles we have to be authentic. We have to be honest. Oh, but I, I, I don't like that. I like, I like putting on my Sunday best. I like acting like everything's good. How are you today? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? I, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Like, no, you're not. You just lost your job. You're dealing with depression, and you just kicked your dog on the way to the church today. Like, like, like there's real stuff happening. You're yelling at your kids in the car, and then you walk up. Well, good morning, brother. How are you? 
Like, no, if we're going to have intentional community, if we're going to impact people's lives, we're going to have to be honest. Because the reality is, and maybe you've heard your pastor say this, I've got issues, you've got issues, all God's people got issues. If you ain't got an issue, that's your issue. (laughs) Now we know your issue. I just identified it for you. It's called pride. You think you're perfect. You have no issues. Pastor Andy Stanley tweeted this once. He said, you're either, you either were a mess, are a mess, or one step from being a mess. Like that's real life, right? And so my wife and I, Rachel, we, we decided to lead this marriage small group. And we, we had been married 11 years and we thought we had a pretty good marriage, but we knew we, we would learn from the small group. I'd been leading small groups for years, so I knew that it would add value to us as well as the people in our group. But, but I had no idea that as we had this small group and we'd play a DVD of this love and respect curriculum, which is hilarious. So we're laughing with these couples and, and they're teaching us uh, through the video. But we, we would have discussions and we just knew that we had to be authentic. We had to be honest. And so we would talk with these other couples about how, man, when we fight, we fight. Like, it, it gets pretty nasty, like, like elbows, eyeballs, and hair everywhere. Like, it's just like, whoa, you know, like, like and, 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 and it was amazing to see the people in the small group, like, one of our pastors, they're actually normal. Like, they actually disagree with their wife. They actually argue. Like, and, 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 it, and it was amazing how the honesty was helping us help them. And at the same time, it was helping us. And honestly, our marriage changed 10 years ago when we led that small group, thinking we were going to invest in others. Our, our marriage has never been the same since that small group. It, it totally transformed us, and transparency had a lot to do with it. If you are not willing to be real, you're not ready to make a difference. We have to just open up and share our struggles. Ecclesiastes 4, 8 through 12, there was a a man all alone. This is just this is a, just a sad state for this guy. Sad story. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, a friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands cannot quickly be broken. So it gets better when we're in community, when we're in relationship. And we have to, we have to know that and we have to trust that and we have to be honest with them because people really, they, they really don't care what you have to say to them. People don't care what you know, what, you, what, what, what training you've had or what school you have. What they care about is if, if, if you actually care. That's what they want. That's what they want in their life. This is where change begins to happen. When you start sharing your struggle in this relationship, that's when change really starts to take place. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Well, I, I thought I was supposed to confess my sins to God. Why do I have to tell somebody else? We go to God for forgiveness. We go to people for healing. There's a very clear difference. And there's things in my life, struggles that I've had, mistakes that I've made, that as I tried to keep them a secret, it was like a cancer inside of me. And yet when I went to a pastor or went to a friend or I went to somebody in a small group and said, hey, I'm dealing with this, it was like all of a sudden healing started to happen. 
That's what this scripture is talking about. James is giving us a truth that could change our life that if we would truly just open up and share our struggles with people, God can do something so important. And so here, once again, the, the order has been important. See, we added value. We started being intentional with the community of the people that we're in. We were sharing our struggles. And then lastly, but not least, and where a lot of us thought we, spoke, we were supposed to start, now we connect them to Jesus. So this is the last part of the process, not the first part of the process. So now we've built relationship. Now we've established trust. Now we've shared our struggles, and now we can truly have an impact on their walk with Christ. And some of you might think, you know what, I, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified because of sin in my life, or I haven't been a Christian that long, or if Lane, if you only knew my past or what I've done, you, you would know that I can't make a difference in somebody's life, and that is absolutely not true. Paul, once again, going back to his words, this time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I like to say it this way, Jesus needs you to be him for them. Jesus needs you to reach your friends, your family members, your coworkers. You, you are in a position where you can have relationship with them and make a difference in their life. And God wants to use you to do that. And it, and, it, and it doesn't say that that's after Bible school. If you read a few verses earlier, it says, if you are in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And then he says, you're an ambassador. Boom, just like that. Not after Bible college, not when you become a pastor, not when your life is perfect. Nope. You have that in you right now. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. He uses us. He uses you. He uses me like sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. So it's, it's up to us. I want to end by talking about my dad. See, for years, 20 years, church every Sunday, 12 years at the church that I went to the summer camp that changed my life, the church where Pastor Chris became my youth pastor, the church where I got on fire for Jesus, my dad is sitting in the same church every Sunday and never taking a step toward God. I never saw life change, never saw spiritual growth, yet he's hearing the same preaching and singing the same songs. Where's the disconnect? The disconnect is in relationship. So when I moved from Colorado Springs to Birmingham, Alabama, to be a part of Church of the Highlands, my greatest fear was the spiritual well-being of my dad. I didn't mind leaving the family business. I didn't leave leaving my home church. I didn't leave, mind leaving even my closest friends. What I was concerned about was my dad's spiritual well-being. And I hadn't been in Birmingham but about six months. And our church in Colorado started a small group semester just like we're doing today. And just like we have outside, we have different small groups, different leaders wanting to tell you about their group. My dad steps out of church, same church he'd been in for 12 years, and he sees a motorcycle sitting next to a table. 
And my dad's a motorhead. So he walks over and starts talking to this leader who is going to have a small group that's going to meet at a little breakfast cafe on Saturday mornings. They're going to talk about Jesus a little bit, maybe read a verse or something and discuss it, and then take prayer requests and then go ride through the Rocky Mountains. My dad's like, I'm there. So my mom calls me that Sunday and says, you're not going to believe this. And she's bawling. Like she's, she's crying. My mom cries happy tears. Do you know what happy tears are? I don't know what they are. I don't understand that. But she was crying. And so I thought something was wrong, but something was right. She's like, your dad is going to go to a small group. We're going next Saturday and I'm freaking out. So now I start crying. I'm like, maybe I do know what happy tears are. But so I'm like, I can't believe this. I've been praying for my dad for 12 years, no change. I'm gone for six months and a guy that has a motorcycle is already getting my dad to take a step. Can you see it? Can you see it? A couple months into the small group, my mom calls me on a Saturday morning. She's bawling. I didn't make it to small group. I'm sick and I couldn't go. I'm like, oh, it's okay, mom. You can go next week. And she's like, no, I'm crying happy tears. I'm like, why are, why are you crying happy tears? Because you missed small group. She's like, your dad went without me. See, that's funny. You know, oh, he went to a small group. Yeah, but that's the guy I've been praying for my whole life. That's another step that he took toward God. Another semester later, this doesn't happen Overnight, It wasn't an altar call and a prayer, and now my dad's this just on fire for Jesus guy. No, it's one step at a time. Another semester later, I'll end with this. My, my mom calls me crying again. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, what is it this time? And I'll never forget this. She said at small group this morning, Jeff, that was the name of the leader, asked your dad to pray after we had breakfast before we went riding. My dad prayed out loud in front of that small group. See, that small group was taking him on a journey. Relationships were taking him on a journey that 12 years of church attendance never took him on. Small groups, relationship, intentional relationship is where true spiritual life change happens. I saw it in my dad. I know it was a, just a normal guy with a motorcycle. I know you can be a part of that process in someone's life. You can experience that process in your own life. It is not that difficult. And so what an amazing time here at the church for us to launch small groups. But I want you to see not just this semester and not even just in August when we launch another semester, but I want you to understand the power of relationships and the power that, that Paul would scream to us, love people love people. You're the ministers. You have the ministry. It's not up to the pastor, the preacher, the worship leader. It's up to all of us. And just imagine what God can do in your life and through your life when we can live like that. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes all over the room? I just want to pray for us. Lord God, I just thank you that you give us ministry, even when we don't deserve it, even when we're not qualified. God, I thank you that small groups can change lives, that relationships make all the difference. I thank you for Jeff being willing to open up a small group for people that like motorcycles and the impact that it's had on my dad's life changed forever. I'm so thankful, Jesus.
And God, I pray for every small group leader here at the church, Lord, that as they lead this summer semester and, and as those are trained up to lead this fall semester, God, as more and more people are willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to do it. Even though I don't think I'm qualified, I'm ready to do it. God, I just pray that, that you would move in a powerful way through every single person, God. Use every small group, use those relationships to change lives. And God, I pray that you would silence the lies of the enemy that would tell people that they can't lead and they can't make a difference, God. Every single one of us can. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. If you would, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to make sure that you've actually been loved by Jesus, that you've actually accepted that love. Because you can never truly love people if you have never received his love for you. You can never experience forgiveness in your own life without Jesus. And you'll never be able to extend forgiveness in others without experiencing it first yourself. And so if you're here today and you'd say, Lane, I'm not right with Jesus today. Maybe you had relationship with him in the past and you've strayed away, you've wandered away and you kind of remember that relationship like a long lost friend, but you know you need to come back into right standing today that this is your moment. And if you've never been right with Jesus, if you'd say, Lane, I called myself a Christian, but I know I don't know him. I don't have a personal relationship with him. I've gone to church. I've even read my Bible. I've thrown up a prayer here and there, but I know I'm not right with Jesus today. Today is your day and your moment. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to not call you out in any way. I'm going to actually lead the whole church in this prayer. So just between you and God, I would just want to know if you would want to be counted in that prayer. If you'd say, Lane, that's me. I need to come back to Jesus or I need to come to him for the first time. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd say, Lane, count me in. Could you just lift your hand up all over the room? Just put it up right now. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over the room. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. That hand goes up for God to see it, not for me to see it, by the way. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You can put your hands back down and let me lead us in a simple prayer. But I'm going to ask all of us to pray this together. Church, would you join them and join me and and just repeat after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I make you my Lord. I surrender everything to you. I accept what you did on the cross when you gave your life for me. I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person. Thank you for loving me first before I loved you. Thank you for a new life in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Let's give God praise for changed lives, everybody.